If you have a Bible with you, uh, I want to invite you to find Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, oftentimes, we, we will go through things that we call sermon series. Um, and this just basically means that whatever topic or kind of idea we want to talk about is going to take more than one week to really kind of like flush it out and go through it. And so we'll do a sermon series. And it may be two, three, five, 13 weeks, whatever it is, kind of depending on what it is we're going through. Um, and so we just finished one of those, but then oftentimes in between series, we may have an opportunity to just kind of say, all right, what, is, what do we feel like God is speaking to our church? Or how is God leading us um, in this church? And can we kind of speak directly to what's going on? Or even times where there are things going on in our world that we feel like, you know what, we need to be talking about what does, what does the Bible have to say about this? What is God, how does he want us to respond in these situations? Um, and so I, I love sermon series because I don't have to necessarily think about what am I going to talk about this week. Kind of have it laid out, which is really nice. Uh, but I also love just these moments in between where we can say, God, what is it uh, that, that you're maybe leading us to? Um, and, and I just kind of, last Saturday, uh, there were just some incredibly tragic events that took place uh, in the Near East uh, with Israel and Palestine and, and a group called Hamas. And, and I'm sure for the most part in this room, we probably are aware of this. We've probably heard of what was going on. Um, and the nice thing about right now not being in a series is, is we can kind of say, all right, where do we feel like we need to be going? What do we need to be talking about? All right. Um, and, and I'm just, I'm a strong believer that when it comes to church, like for this to have value in your life, in my life, you know, we come together, we gather as a community, and that's a huge part of the value is just gathering together. I think there's also a side where like, this has to be speaking to us in our life. Like, we have to be allowing God to actually giving us things to do, like, today, this week. This is, this is why I need this. And so, uh, we just always want to take these types of times and slow down and say, all right, what, what might God have for us? And I wrestled and went back and forth. I kind of had a couple of ideas of what I, I felt like would be good for our church to talk about. And we're still going to do that. Uh, and then last Saturday this happened and I've just kind of been, I've been feeling this, like maybe we need to talk about this. And, and actually I started saying, yep, okay, we're going to talk about this. And I started working on a message moving this way. And then Thursday evening, I was like, no, you know what? Like there's so much going on and it's still so like raw and emotional that I feel like maybe we need to slow down and we can talk about this in the, in the future. Um, but I'm going to go back to what I was thinking. So then I started working on that message. And yesterday we started building a retaining wall in the soccer field. And we finished that, you know, just after lunch. And I went back in to, to continue working on this because I had been at a conference this past week and didn't have all the time that I normally did. And I just felt incredibly strongly again of, no, I, I want to talk about this. And so it's really fun when you like half write a bunch of different messages. And then, you know, basically it's the equivalent of like cramming for a final. You're like, I have to get up tomorrow and talk. And there's got to be something to talk about. And you're like, all right, so I'm going to write this. And so just so you know, like this is still even for me coming from a little bit of a raw place where there wasn't a whole lot of, but just this, this urge of like, okay, we need to talk about what does this look like? How do we, how do we respond all right, and so, I mean, I've been watching just, you know, different things and just feeling just, just terrible um, throughout this. And you see videos, you see pictures, we hear stories, and it, it pulls us in emotionally, and it should. 
Because you can't have empathy if you're not emotionally invested. All right, but our emotions can run us into dangerous ground if we allow them to decide our direction and how we respond. Emotions are really great in some areas, and in some areas they can be a little dangerous. All right, so how we respond to situations always needs to go back to Scripture. It always needs to go back to Jesus. And that's what I want us to do today. I want us, in a way, to to take a, a step back and try and kind of separate our emotions um, in this and make sure that as we walk forward as followers of Jesus, that we are, we are doing this in the way that he has called us to. All right, so the idea of today's message is impossible love. Impossible love. You know, maybe it'd be better said as improbable or this, but just impossible love. And the passage we're going to read is from something called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus had a bunch of crowds that were gathering together and so he wanted to speak to them, so he goes up kind of on the side of a, a mountain of a hill so that his voice can project and he can speak to the crowd. And this is famously known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and it is one of, if not the most difficult groupings of teaching that Jesus ever shared. Um, and, and it's so hard as you read through this. Um, and, and it's really hard to live up to, borderline impossible. But it, it's, it's because this is the ideal that we are striving for, even if we can't live up to it perfectly. All right, so I'm going to read a portion of this. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different things that Jesus says throughout the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to read just one portion today. Uh, if you are able, if you're willing, would you stand? If, if that's difficult for you, that's completely fine. You can stay seated. Uh, but I just want to read through our passage here. It's going to be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. So we are in Matthew 5, and we're going to start in verse 43. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And as he says that, he's quoting from the Old Testament there. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. God, I pray that as we, as we dive into these, these passages, Lord, this, this is such a difficult thing. And as we talk about an incredibly emotionally charged topic right now in our world, God, that, that we would be able to separate some of those things and just lean into you and trust you and really just try and let you guide the way that we respond in these situations. Lord, we ask that in your name. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. I'm not sure about you, but for me, when I, when I heard what had happened in Israel, it felt like kind of just this like punch in the gut. A little bit. Just one of those, when you hear certain news stories, you just kind of feel a little sick to your stomach uh, and just everything that's going on. And, but what really made it difficult is that it wasn't just hearing the story, it just continued to unfold as they were able to go and explore kind of really what had, what had truly happened. And you just kept getting these updates and the death toll just kept rising and rising and rising. And, and more pictures started coming out, videos coming out. And every single time, it just felt like kind of this punch in the stomach just kind of kept happening over and over. And just feeling really kind of quite crummy, you know. And I, and I think we still probably don't have the full extent of everything that had happened. Uh, 
Um, and so each time I got an update, it just was again and again feeling this. Uh, and when you hear about things like this for me, I almost, I have like two different emotions and feelings that are happening simultaneously. All right, on one side, you, you feel terrible. You're, you're grieving for the tragedy that has happened, the sadness that is building up. On the other side, often in me, the, there just becomes this anger that is building up because of the incredibly awful things that have been done. And both of these emotions are kind of building up. And, and what's interesting for me is, I have found that depending on who I surround myself with and what information I continue to take in from what sources, it will feed one of those two things. And one of those emotions will win the day. You know what I'm saying? If you're around certain people, like just that like grieving and tragedy is there and that's what's going to kind of win out and that's going to be a lot of your focus of where you're at. If you're around other people, there may be a lot of anger that is building up. And all of a sudden, that starts to feed that side, and that's what wins out. And so you can see how, depending on which one of those gets built up, that's going to determine how we respond in these situations. It's just, it's how we are as humans. We respond often from this emotional place, all right? Um, and, and maybe you're the same for this. Maybe initially you felt both, but then as the days went on, you started to feel things like maybe one of those kind of started to win. Uh, and I'd be curious, even right now, if... Uh, if you were to like kind of think about this, reflect about this, um, what people, what things were you listening to? Can you think back on this last week? Did one of those emotions kind of win out inside of you, even just as we're talking about this? And so uh, depending on, on which one wins, it, it's, gonna, it's going to change how we respond. And I saw a lot of anger that was leading to this immediate uh, retaliation that would be swift and it would be big. Uh, and I'm not trying to make an argument today about how governments should respond. Because the reality is, I can't control how Israel responds in this situation. I can't control how the U.S. responds in this situation. I can control simply how I respond to this situation. That's what you can control, is how you respond to this situation. Alright? Um, and... How I respond to anything should always be filtered through the lens of how does a Jesus follower respond? How are we called to respond? How did Jesus respond? And that's why I wanted us to look at this incredibly difficult message that Jesus shared uh, as recorded in Matthew 5. And, and right before this passage that we read about enemies and loving your enemy is a passage that talks about revenge, actually. And it, it said this. It says, You've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. You know, this entire, this entire message that Jesus gives is so challenging for us. And he keeps going on. He gives a few other examples um, and now those examples seem like pretty light stuff. If someone slaps you, letting them slap you on the other cheek, like, yeah, that might hurt a little bit. It might hurt your pride a little bit, but it's not that big of a deal, okay? It, and then another example he gives, like, if someone sues you, you know, give them more than what they're even asking for. Give them your jacket, you know? And, and he's kind of, so he's saying this, he says, if someone who is oppressing you asks you to do this, like, really unfair work, you know, the Romans were oppressing them. If a soldier, which they could do, said, hey, I want you to carry my gear for the next mile. I'm tired. And they just grab someone off the street and say, you have to carry this. And that, that was a, a downfall of them being occupied by Rome. 
Jesus says, hey, don't, not only do that, but when you reach the end of that mile, say, hey, can I carry it another mile for you? Like, it's just this, like, challenging way of approaching things. All right? And now, but even all of that, that's not, that's not killing someone. So how would Jesus respond to someone who is killing someone? Well, luckily, we can actually skip ahead and see Jesus is being crucified. He's being killed. So what, what would it look like for Jesus to live out what he said back on that hillside? How does he live that out? All right, and if someone is killing you, like you don't, you don't have another cheek to turn. You can't say, okay, you killed me. Um, how would I rise from the dead and you can kill me again? You're like, that, that's not an option. How do you respond? How do you do this turn the other cheek? Maybe it looks like you aren't going to kill them. You know, if you have an opportunity to do that back. Jesus doesn't have this option. In Jesus' final moments, though, we see how he turns the other cheek. Says this in verse 32, two other, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. You know, in this moment, think about this. As, as followers of Jesus, you can think about like the weight of crucifying, killing God's son. So basically, Jesus in this moment says, Father, forgive them. Like, don't hold this against them. Because think about that as a parent. Like, that would be hard. And so he, this, is, this is how he turns the other cheek. How do you have that type of mindset or attitude where in that moment you can do that? You know, and maybe we're like, okay, well, yeah, it's Jesus. He's the son of God. And we, we try and use that as like a scapegoat a lot where we're like, okay, but that's Jesus. I don't think that's what I could do or I don't think that's what we should be expected to do. I'm not divine in any way. But he isn't the only one that does this. Acts chapter 7. Stephen, who's a newly appointed deacon in the early church, is arrested by the religious leaders. The religious leaders get people to lie and say that Stephen said something that he didn't. Stephen, in his defense, gives this long speech where at the end of it, he basically calls out the religious leaders. And, uh, and they get mad about this. And they're, they're fuming. And then in that moment, Stephen says that he can see the heavens open up and I, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And these religious leaders just lose it. They're like, that's blasphemous. And so they pick up rocks and they begin to kill Stephen. And he's kind of the first recorded person to be killed for their faith in Jesus. And this is, this is what it says. Acts 7 verse 59. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that he died. Okay, so we have Jesus responds this way. That's the example we're supposed to strive for. I don't know about you, but I don't always live up to what I'm trying to do in following Jesus. But now we have a follower of Jesus who does the same thing. This is how he responds to being killed. His dying breath, Stephen forgives the people who lied about him to get him arrested, who got mad that he was calling them out, who killed him for saying that he saw Jesus. So apparently this isn't an attitude that is just for Jesus. 
Now you might be saying, okay, yeah, but this is, this is people of their own free will who are like they are being attacked, choosing to forgive. What about when it happens to the defenseless person? Like I don't get to make that choice necessarily for them. Like what, what happens when it's someone that I love or someone else who is being killed? What about people who have done just like unspeakable, horrific things? Not just other, and not just to, to other men, but to, but to women, to the elderly, to children. Like it, it, it's different when someone else, you know, it's happening to them and not to me. I can let people hurt me, but when it starts happening to defenseless children, that changes things. Now I need to stand up and do something. Or would you believe that we actually get to see God's attitude towards that exact type of situation as well? All right, and it's, it's the entire story of one of the prophets, Jonah. And I'm not going to read a whole lot of it because I want to just get the pic- big picture of what's happening here. Uh, but let's look at the first couple verses in this, okay? And so the very beginning of the book of Jonah says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittah. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. And just so you know, this would be like God telling any one of us, hey, I want you to go to Chicago. And instead we go buy a plane ticket to Anchorage. That's literally like about the same miles that it is. It's not just like, no, I'm not going to go. I'm going to go to North Dakota. It's like, no, I'm not going to go. And I am leaving way out of here type of thing. And so just so you know, like, I don't think there's a, a single story in the Bible that is more res- misrepresented in children's Bibles than Jonah. I actually even brought um, this one. And maybe you grew up on this one. I kind of grew up on this one a little bit. Maybe you recognize it. Um, this is one that we have with our kids. I'm going to be honest. I don't mean this poorly. If, if you have this one, you're reading it to your kids. We have altogether stopped reading this one with our kids because it just kind of, it makes everything a little too happy. Like at the end of Jonah here, you can see him. He's just this happy-go-lucky guy sharing the good news with Nineveh. And then and it closes by saying, the people in Nineveh were sorry for doing bad things, so God forgave them. That's it. And if you've read the story of Jonah, you know that there's a chapter 4. And chapter 4 is brutal and actually where like all of the application of the story comes in. And yet we've turned it into this like fish or whale. Uh, you know, it's so cool. Chapter 4 is where everything is at. And so I, I grew up for a long time thinking that Jonah fled because he was scared. It doesn't say at the beginning. Nineveh was this big bad city that had a terrible reputation. And Jonah must have been scared so he ran away. The problem with that is that we're actually told later on that Jonah ran away not because he was scared. This is in chapter 4. He ran away because he didn't like those people. Like it basically, chapter 4 reveals that, that Jonah is just this like selfish dirtbag. Um, sorry, like that might sound a little strong, but seriously. If you read chapter 4, you're like, wow. Like this, this story is in scripture to show us like this prophet, someone who is a man of God who should be kind of like getting it as right as they can has gotten it so wrong. 
And it shows that as people of God, that, that if we aren't careful, we can completely go off the wrong direction. And that's really the story of Jonah, uh, what it is. And, and now understand this, like Nineveh was awful, like terrible. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, it was located in modern day Iraq. And warfare in the ancient world was different. There was no Geneva Code for how you should handle like prisoners of war. There was none of that. Okay, so people were, they, they were brutal in war. Now, Nineveh, the Assyrians, because Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire, were considered extreme in their brutality, not just by today's standards, but by the ancient standards, which should tell you like how bad it was. They are thought to have invented crucifixion, uh, which as bad as that was, it wasn't even close to some of the things that they did. And I don't want to go into all that, like, and this is where I was trying to walk this line of, like, we have these things that are happening that are very emotionally charged. And I, I don't want to try and make this have shock value in that. All right? But, like, understand this about Nineveh. There isn't anything that happened last weekend in our world right now that didn't happen on a regular systematic basis by the Assyrian army. And really actually quite worse. And the reason why I think that matters is so that we understand that these recent events do not, out, they don't lie outside of the parameters of this story and how it should be applied. And, and that matters. And the Assyrians, they, they would do all of this on purpose. It was, it was psychological warfare is what they were doing. They made it so bad that what they wanted is when, when any city or nation saw their army coming, that they would just surrender immediately, hoping that they would kind of spare them from some of their worst things. That's how the Assyrian Empire operated. And it would be understandable if Jonah were afraid to go to Nineveh because of that reputation. It really would. But that isn't why he doesn't want to go. Instead, Jonah knows that the God that he serves is merciful and compassionate. And Jonah is afraid that if he goes to them, that God might show them mercy. Because what Jonah wants is for these guys to get what's coming to them. That's what he wants. He has allowed the reputation, the things that the Assyrians had done, build up this anger and hatred inside of him against this entire group of people. And in the end, God does decide to spare them. And this is the start of chapter 4, the part that children's Bibles pretend like isn't part of the story. I'm going to read this here. It says, uh, This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted would happen doesn't happen. He predicted that the city would be destroyed. He says, I would rather be dead than live in a world where you allow these people to keep living. That's a strong statement by Jonah. 
He's letting his true colors and feelings really fly here. And it's, it's not fear, it's hatred that drove him the other direction. And in the end, that hatred led to this desire to wanting to see a group of people, wicked as, as they may be, or wicked as their army was, however you want to describe this, his desire was to see them perish because it's what he felt they deserved. And God asked this question of Jonah. He says, uh, right after that, that statement Jonah makes, he's, the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? And we don't actually get a response from Jonah. And I think sometimes we would look at this and, and it'd be easy to answer yes. Like, think of all the terrible things that this group of people have done. Yes, it's right for me to be angry about this. And they're going to continue to do these awful things. Yeah, maybe they said that they forgive and that they want to repent. And, but, but they're going to continue to do awful things down the road here, which they do. And actually, they are part of the group that ends up taking over Israel and bringing them into exile. If God had wiped them out right there, maybe some of these big things down the road wouldn't have happened. So is it right for you to be angry that I'm choosing not to destroy them? That's what God's saying. Then the book ends with this line from God to Jonah, and it, it's like this really random cliffhanger that is more so than like any other book in the Bible, um, because it doesn't give any more. It just ends, like in the middle of what feels like a thought. This is how it ends. It says, but Nineveh has more than, this is God speaking to Jonah, all right? It says, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And the book ends. There's a whole little thing in between there in in chapter 4 where Jonah goes out to the edge of the city and sits down because he wants to wait and watch the city be destroyed. He wants a front row seat to this. And he's mad that it's not going to happen. So then God causes this plant to grow and give Jonah shade because he's kind of out in the middle of this area that's really hot. And he's like, oh, thank you so much. I love this plant. Then God (laughs) is really actually quite humorous. God has this worm come and eat the plant. So the plant dies. And now Jonah's mad again. So you just see this, like, it's like a toddler who's just like, give me what I want. Okay, I have it. Now, I, now I'm happy. Now it's gone. Now I'm mad. And that's like, Jonah's upset about the plant. And God's like, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? You didn't do anything. I, I grew it. I put it there. And Jonah's like, yes, it's right for me to be angry. But this is how the whole story ends. God just saying, isn't it There are people in spiritual darkness. Actually, the Hebrew says they don't know their right from their left, is the way they phrase it. They're so lost. Isn't it right that that I should feel sorry for this city and for all the inhabitants, all the people? Here's the thing. We serve a merciful, compassionate God. A God who would desire for everyone to know him and for everyone to be loved. Unfortunately, we don't always follow in his footsteps. And many people make really bad, awful decisions that hurt the people around them. That's, that's what happens in our world. We have free will that God gave us, and, and often people choose to use that to hurt others. And some people are so lost in hatred that they think the best thing to do is to kill other people. And we don't get to control that. We don't. We get to control ourselves. We can control how we view others and how we respond and what emotions get to win the day. And the example that has been set forth for us is one of mercy and compassion, not of anger and hatred. 
And this matters. It matters how we talk about these things. It matters what we share on social media. It matters what statements other people make and we kind of nod our head and go along with. And we absolutely should be praying for the people involved in these horrific situations. We, we should be praying for Israel. We should be praying for Palestine. We should be praying for Hamas. Like all of these things. Like it, don't fall into this, this trap of thinking that God would only want you to be praying for one group of people who are experiencing violence right now. It's really easy to take scripture from the Old Testament out of context, specifically when you're talking about Israel. All right, and, like, and as I scroll through social media, and I'm not, hear me on this, I'm not, I'm not trying to make this a bad thing, but like I, I see all these different things, all these scriptures being used. Understand, the entire Old Testament, who's the main character in this? God's people, Israel. You have an entire, all these different scriptures talking about Israel. And it's really easy to grab one of those and throw it on our social media and make it seem like this is, this is everything that we need to be doing right now. And so I just, I want us to be careful as we do some of these different things. There's a lot of scripture that talk about praying for Israel. Absolutely. But again, it's, it's because they're mentioned a lot. But there, there are things in play in the Old Testament that may not be able to be completely transferred to today's context either. There are a lot of Christians who think that because of some of those scriptures, we are supposed to just... Sub- uh, blindly support Israel no matter what they do. Israel has done some pretty terrible things. And as followers of Jesus, we are called to stand against injustices wherever we see them, no matter who is doing them. All right? Plus, like, let's be honest, there are few things that are more biblical. You'll see how I'm using that word. There are a few things more biblical than calling out Israel for not <laughs> acting the way they're supposed to. There's this whole group of people called prophets. That was their entire job. And they were given lots of books of the Bible. All right? Like their job was calling out Israel when they would do things wrong. Jesus shows up in the scene calling out Israel when things are, like, I'm not saying that, that we place all of this, this blame in, in, you know, on, on Israel in this. I'm saying there's, there's this fine line that has to be walked of when we see injustice, we call that out. We pray about that. We speak about that. And right now, we have, we have people, adults, men, women, children, who are all made in the image of God, who are dying. And it doesn't matter if they are Israeli or Palestinian, God loves them, and he is brokenhearted at the death and destruction that is happening. And we need to adopt more of God's posture and less of the world's that is bent on taking sides. Everything in our world nowadays is about which side are you on. What if we're just on the side of humanity and human life? What if we just oppose needless violence? Because this, this matters. Why don't we stand together? Worship team, you guys can come. I want each of us to reflect just take the next few moments here and we're, we're going to close with a few songs which just gives us a chance to allow some of these things maybe to, to just kind of marinate and for us to process and think through this. And you guys know well enough that like in no way am I infallible in, in when we approach these topics and maybe you're sitting here and pushing back against some of what's being said. And that's, that's always okay. 
My challenge is, okay, what is it that's pushing back? Is it your emotions? Because you've been steeped in anger all week? Is it your theology? Because you think we have to just support Israel no matter what? Is it like, what is it that's pushing back in these moments? And, may, and maybe it is, and I'm not saying that you're wrong even. I want each of us to reflect on maybe what our mindset has been in this conflict that we're seeing. It's so hard to truly understand the idea of loving your enemies. You know, I phrase this as impossible love because I think that's how we view it. Not because that's how it is, but that's how we view it. And in America, we live lives that are so far from conflicts like what we're seeing over there that when we read passages about loving your enemies, for us, like the most that we can transfer that to is we're like someone who votes different from me. Oh man, they're my enemy. This unconditional love that God has is hard for us to wrap our minds around. All right? God's heart is broken when an Israeli infant is killed. It is. Absolutely is. What's hard to understand is that his heart is equally broken when a Hamas soldier is killed. I struggle with that. I struggle to understand that kind of love. I'd venture to guess that I'm not the only one that struggles with that. Our emotions almost don't let us comprehend that. And yet that is the type of love that was modeled to us. That's the type of love that we receive and it's the type of love that we are called to give. But this, this can't happen of our own strength. It can't. In a way, it is impossible for you and I in our own strength to do this. But it isn't impossible when we allow God to renew our hearts, renew our minds, and to work through us. So if your response to this situation is dehumanizing anyone, if you're lifting up certain human life over other human lives, I think you might need to reevaluate your response. If you find yourself wishing ill on someone who is made in the image of God, you need to reevaluate. If you are turning a blind eye to some actions and saying that the end justifies the means or any type of revenge, retaliation that results in death is justified, I think we need to reevaluate. Let's be wise. Let's be empathetic. Let's overflow with love, grace, and compassion right now as followers of Jesus. Let's pray that senseless tragedies that are unfolding, all this, there's so much hate and death and destruction that's happening. Let's be in prayer that somehow God would be glorified in the midst of these terrible situations. And it's hard for us to even always to understand how could God be glorified in this? And we start to say, this is how we could be glorified and we wanna pray that way. I think we need to just take a step back and say, let's just pray that he'd be glorified because this situation is so messy, I don't even know what that would look like. So I'm just gonna pray that he would be glorified. Pastor Aaron, would you come and just kinda transition us into a time of response and into a time of singing? I think I just wanna pray for us. Father God, this, this is not an easy thing. God, I pray that, that this morning we would not just react, 
that we would immediately put up walls, but God, that you would actually tear the walls down that need to be torn down. God, ultimately, I think our prayer should be this, give us your heart. Give us your heart. Give us your eyes. And God, help us to pray that prayer. It doesn't have to be anything complicated, but simply every day, a lifestyle of God, give us your heart. And help us to be obedient to what you are calling us to whether that's something you are asking us to do or just a response that we may have to something. But God, help our lives to begin to live this out. God, you know that we are gonna struggle and that we are gonna wrestle, so God, I pray for strength and endurance. And God, that we would, we would dedicate time with you so that we can begin to respond in the right way. God, this is not something that we can do on our own. We need you. We need you. And so God, this morning, as we, as we begin to respond to this, break our heart for what breaks yours. Give us your eyes. Give us the ability to say we're wrong. God, in whatever way that we need to respond this morning, help us to just take that first step. God, help us. In Jesus' name, amen.